have to say about our emotions, rage, anger, fear, love, etc. Um, know that your God is a God of emotions. God gets angry in the Bible. God gets jealous. God is filled with compassion, as we'll see in a minute in one of our scriptures. He's a God of emotions. He's given everyone in this room emotions, but he gave those to you not to rule your life, but as a tool. You need to learn how to use your emotions, control your emotions, and use them to follow God and obey God. Your emotions should not control your life. And yet I know for many of us, they do. You are ruled by fear. You are controlled by anger. You are pushed around by shame and guilt. And that is not why God gave you those feelings. Those feelings are good. They are for your good to use, not to be used by. Bad things happen when we let our emotions be our God instead of the giver of the emotions, God. Um, we're going to talk about and focus on anger today. And we're going to talk about losing control and what we can do to help ourselves and watch out for before, during, and after anger and losing control. But maybe anger is not your big stumbling block. Maybe it's fear or shame or guilt or pick your poison. So you think of that as we talk. But anger is what we're going to use as our launching pad. So that being said, what makes you guys angry? What upsets you? What just really gets you going? Chester. Bryce. Bryce Markgraf. You guys should know that. Right there, anger-inducing Bryce. You got the red hair and everything. What else? Who else? What's something that upsets you guys? What do you got? Stupid drivers. Stupid drivers. What's up with those people? And you know, people that are most bothered by stupid drivers, and I'm one of them, Usually stupid driver. All right. No offense for you. I love you. You're a great driver. That's what stupid drivers always say. Sam. Ignorance. 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 Absolutely. Isn't that just so prevalent? Ignorance. And yet, what, I mean, we can't go there today, but like what really is ignorance? Is it lack of knowledge on this subject or of this book? What do you got, Bean? Doing something halfway. People that do things halfway. Man, when I do something halfway, I get mad at myself. Bad food. Makes you angry? Like, you actually get angry? All right. Well, I'm never going to McDonald's with you. What do you got, honey? Lies. Lies. That's a great one. There are a few things that God says he hates, and lies is one of them. What do you got? Disrespectful people. Classmates. All of them? All right. Well, is that why you're sitting by yourself? What's happening here? Her? Miss Curry. No offense wherever you are, Miss Curry. Or is it like you missed Curry? I, it doesn't matter. Anybody over here in the cheap seats? What do you guys? What, what upsets you guys? Tell me now. What's upsetting to you right now? When the pastor points at me from... Your brother. Yeah. He was in here last service. Watch out, Corbin. She's coming for you. One more. What do you got? In the back. Death threats. Absolutely. Are you? If you're getting those... Just go talk to Cameron. He'll take care of you. All right. We all have, we all have our triggers. We all have our things that not just make us angry, but like push us over the edge, right? Anybody in here ever thrown like a serious temper tantrum? Yes. Yeah, you have. You're not raising your hand? Lies. Right there. All right. I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story. I'm going to tell you a story about when I lost my temper, when I lost control of my anger. And um, it's a small thing, 
At least it was at the time, but it was a big deal, and I've remembered it all my life. When I was a kid, when I was 12, 13 years old, so not too far from where you guys are now, I loved, loved, loved blueberry Pop-Tarts. Yep. Loved them. You remember the story? You know the story. You tell me if I change anything. I'm going to be truthful. I love blueberry Pop-Tarts, and this was pre-frosting, so just plain blueberry Pop-Tarts, but I like, took advantage and covered them with like a, a half a stick of butter because, you know, you know, I'm watching my figure. So, but I didn't love two Pop-Tarts, right? And they come in packages of two. I like to make four. So I would cook these guys up just nice and perfect where they're brown, just on the edges, and I would put my butter on them and I'd have this stack of Pop-Tarts and I'd carry them on my plate and that would be like my little ritual at the end of a, a really, not a tough day, just a day. I had a lot of Pop-Tarts. Um, it popped at an invention, so, but nobody loved me. So I ate these Pop-Tarts, but I had a sister, a sibling, little sister. Anybody got a younger sibling, right? Is anybody in here a younger sibling? Yeah. What do younger siblings do when they see you got some yummy food? They want to eat all of it. They want to, right? My sister would just literally walk up, grab it right in front of me, no ask or anything, put it in her mouth, and I'm just like, you're dead, right? <laughs> My sister adored me, looked up to me, uh, idolized me, but I hated her for it. Aww. And I forgot to use that picture line. Look at my sister. Look, look at her face. Look at her. I know, now I have the Mr. Teacup pretty much. But look at, look at the way Autumn is looking at her older brother. Just joy, just respect, just love. You'd think I'd want to make Pop-Tarts for her, but no. When I made my Pop-Tarts, they were for me. And when Autumn would come and take one, um, I mean, sometimes I'd just flat out like, boom, punch her, back off. I'd yell at her, I'd get upset, she'd ruin my appetite, just etc. Nothing good came out of it. Now what happens when little kids, when little siblings don't get their way, what do they do? They go and tell mom. So my sister would go and tell my mother, and that would only aggravate the situation. Because my, mother, my mother's solution when my sister and I weren't getting along was to make us spend more time together. And specifically in the case of the Pop-Tarts, she would say half to your sister. And I'm like, make your own Pop-Tarts. This one time, she said, give her half. I was so angry, I was so peeved, I took my Pop-Tarts and I showed the world. I threw those suckers right in the garbage. No Pop-Tarts for anyone. That was my solution, right? Punished myself just as much as anyone else. I threw my Pop-Tarts in the trash and then I got thrown into my room for the rest of the night. But I remember, like it was yesterday, how I felt that my sister was trying to take something that was mine and that my mom came in and asked no questions and just said, give her half. And I was like, what? It's not, I mean, that just so hurt me and so made me angry that my mom wouldn't even care about like, I really care about this. It's just Pop-Tarts, but I mean, you guys, what do you care about in life? Odds are a lot of times it's just Pop-Tarts. So I got super angry. Um, I hulked out, picture. That's me. That was me that day. I lost it. I went in my room. I think I threw some stuff. I know I was yelling. I hate you. And it was just something that I always remembered. When it comes to emotions, anger, jealousy, shame, pick your poison. Again, whatever you wrestle with, you need to recognize that it's not something that should rule you. It's a tool. 
My anger was telling me it was an early warning signal. Something is wrong here. Something is wrong. Now, what was wrong? Well, there was a spirit of favoritism in my house all my life. Growing up, there was a spirit, there was a behavior of favoritism. Favoritism in the Bible, God says flat out, it's a sin. It hurts the person giving favor. It hurts the person receiving the favor. And it absolutely hurts the person that's getting no favor. If you are playing favorites with people, friends, etc., you need to know. You might be blessing that person you're giving it to, but you're really cursing them and you are hurting the people that you are neglecting. God doesn't like it when we play favorites. Favorites were played in my house. I didn't know that at 12 years old, but I felt it. And my anger was warning me. Something is wrong, but I didn't handle it well. I didn't process it well. I never talked to my mom about it. I just settled for, I'm going to be a rage monster and break my sister's stuff and holler and scream and pout and hurt others and myself. I didn't know there was something wrong, but I felt it. And so my anger rose up and tried to warn me and I didn't listen. I just gave into it. It wasn't until I was in my 30s, just a few years back, that I discovered what was really going on, that I finally talked about this issue. We were sitting around the table at my mom's house, and we're laughing about the Pop-Tarts all those years ago. Remember when you lost it, Justin? That was so funny. And I'm like, yeah, it was real funny. (laughs) And I said, you know, Mom, I'll just, I'm laughing with you, but I'll open up. That day... You broke my heart when you came in there and, and just didn't even care how I felt and just made me give Autumn those. And I'll tell you, Mom, it wasn't the Pop-Tarts. Like, that was my life growing up. You always went to her games and you never went to mine. I was in um, varsity soccer team and swim team for three years of my high school career. One game my mom came to. My sister lettered in track, basketball, and volleyball, and was in the Science Academy freshman year, and she didn't miss anything. How do you think that made me feel? Horrible. Less than. Small. Um, and I just kind of, we started talking, and I was like, I just, I'm not trying to hurt you, Mom, but like, that, that destroyed me. Um, maybe I wasn't really mad about those Pop-Tarts that day. Maybe I was just mad at the fact that there was one more instance where you were coming in to advocate for my sister and ignore me. And we started to talk. And we started to dialogue. And we started to process in a healthy way those feelings. And do you know that not only did I discover something that day, but my mom discovered something that day. My mom, who at the time was 60, discovered something brand new about herself that she had never known. So my thing is I didn't get Pop-Tarts and my mom didn't come to my games all the time. And it hurts, and I'm not downplaying it. But I found out a little bit about my mom's story that day as as I watched her process it in front of me. And here's what I learned. My mom grew up in a house with a father and a mother, and her mother was such an alcoholic that the state, and this is in the 50s, had to come in and intervene and say, this little girl is not allowed to be with her mom. That was radical at the time. And so she would have to go after school and stay with her grandparents across town and her older brother. And the grandparents was not a really healthy place to be. 
and her mom wasn't there, and her dad was at work, and so it's a crazy situation. I mean, it was in the local paper that she was split up from her family. It was a big deal, very traumatic, the whole community looking at her, and she's going to grandma's house, and her older brother was mean to her, very similar to the way I was mean to my little sister. But he didn't just yell and throw tantrums and neglect Pop-Tarts from his little sister. He would lock her in a steamer trunk at the foot of the bed in the guest room for 10 minutes, 20, eight hours at a time. My mom, who had claustrophobia, I'm tearing up just thinking about it, who had claustrophobia would be in that trunk for eight hours and would scratch until her nails came off and punch trying to get out and scream for somebody to rescue her and nobody would come. And my mom, like, for the first time in her life, like admitted that and owned that. And this like realization came over her as she's talking to me and said, you know, I think I made all my mistakes with my four kids with you. And that was hard to hear, but it was beautiful to hear because my mom owned that I wasn't crazy and something was actually going on. And as we talked a little more, I didn't hate her anymore or my sister. My heart was broken for her. I had to give up a couple Pop-Tarts from time to time. My mom got locked in a trunk daily. And when she would go to grandma and grandpa after the fact and say, I have been locked in, look at my hands. Grandma would say, your brother would never do that. And if he did, you probably deserved it. And my heart broke for my mom. And it made perfect sense to me that my mom subconsciously would always lean on protecting a little sister from a bully of a big brother. My mom was a great mom. My mom took amazing care of me. My father, as you know, was an alcoholic, out of the picture. She was the only one there. But in this instance, this favoritism was taking place all throughout our house, and my anger was trying to say, something is wrong, but I didn't process it. I didn't talk about it. Instead, I just chose to hate my mom and hate my sister for years, for decades, until I finally had a conversation, and everything changed. And in the afternoon, of course, my mother will always protect the weaker little girl in the situation. I understand that. I get that. That makes sense to me. We would talk on this issue a couple more times over the year, and we would discover that her grandmother, who always favored her older brother, had a younger sister growing up that manipulated her and got her in trouble with her parents. And some really nasty stuff happened to grandma as a result of her younger sister. And so how did grandma respond with the younger sister? She was mean to her. She favored the brother. You got three generations. We're talking 150 years of gender jumping favoritism. I was doomed the minute I entered that house. But thank God, Jesus, truth, anger was saying, say something, stand up, have a conversation. And I had to wait until I was in my 30s, unfortunately, but you don't. What upsets you? What is in your house or your heart that is driving you crazy? You guys, there's something there. And you need to talk about it. You need to pray about it. You need to ask for help. You need to stop bottling it up. Because it literally cost me a relationship with my closest blood for a decade or more. 
I, I felt like I didn't have a mom. I, every time I saw my sister, hate. And all I needed to do was be like, let's talk about the time out. Let's discuss this. But I didn't do that, and I grew up hating my mom, and I grew up hating my sister, and I had no clue as to their anguish and their issue. All I cared about was my anger. And I had a reason to be angry, did I not? But I acted on it poorly. I processed it poorly, and it cost me, and it cost them. And because my anger worked, that was my response in every situation. I would just as soon hit people and beat up other kids at school than talk about my problems because that's the only thing that got me results. That's all I knew, that's what I trained myself to do. But like any powerful tool, anger's powerful. It comes with a warning label, right? If you get a chainsaw, when you open the box, there's this warning label taped over the blade, like you can't use it until you see, you need to understand that you're about to use this and here's a warning label. Anger has been given to us as a powerful tool and it's been given with a warning label. And it comes in the form of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 to 27. Here's what it says. Do not sin by letting anger control you. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. I have used this illustration before, but it will never get old. I need a volunteer. Paul, come with me. Paul, be vulnerable with us, but also concise. What makes you angry? What freaks you out? What makes you most often lose control? Being stressed out. Being stressed out. We're stressed out because we don't talk about what's going on. Maybe we procrastinate. Like there's things Paul can do, am I not speaking truth, that would alleviate the stress, but you don't, and you lose it. How do you lose it? You isolate your... Oh, man. Did you read my sermon already? <laughs> Where'd get there? Paul isolates himself, chooses to give in to his feeling, feeling, not reality, feeling of stress. When he does so, I'm the devil for the rest of this illustration. Paul, this room, with all your beautiful peoples, is your heart. I'm the devil. You are not handling stress properly. You don't want me in your life, though, do you? Well, then shut the door on me. Shut the door, Paul. Shut the... Come on, dude. You're just kicking his foot, huh? No, Paul. You waited too long. You did not pass go. You did not handle that properly. The devil is now in Paul's house. The devil can now do whatever he wants. The devil can make all kinds of mess because Paul did not handle his stress in a timely manner, did not talk about it, did not take it to the Lord. Don't leave trash in my building, Bryce. You do make people angry. And now, Paul, right in the middle of his heart, has the devil who has set up shop. Sit down, Paul. And at any given time, I can mess with Paul. Because Paul gave me a foothold, and now it's turned into a stronghold. This is my house now, Paul. And you might be talking to your friend, and I'm going to throw some barrage of just horrible things to talk about or say, and it might cost you that relationship. Paul, your parents are going to come in and have a serious talk with you. 
And because I'm in your heart, I can just start slinging every memory that you ever have of your parents letting you down. And they want to talk about something with you big, and I'm going to ruin it for you. I'm going to steal that opportunity from you because you have given me a stronghold. This is my house now. Student, do you ever feel like you have no control over your anger? Do you ever feel like you have no control over shame or guilt or thoughts of just, I suck? You may have given the enemy a foothold at some point along the way. And it may have turned into a stronghold. But again, thank God, we got Jesus. So the devil, this might be his house right now. But that can change before you leave this room. All right. Let's read that passage again. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. Do not sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're angry or full of shame or guilt or whatever right now, what's your time frame to deal with it according to the scripture? Today, there is something deep and profound and powerful about knowing that you are sick in the heart, upset, angry, and choosing to just go to bed, choosing not to deal with it, choosing our choice not to address it. God is warning us that if you just go to sleep, that anger, that shame, that guilt, you are looking the devil in the eye and saying, it's okay that you're here. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to set up shop. And that feeling, that control is going to take root in your heart like some just vicious leech. And you let it. You invited it in. And then you said, take up shop. If you are feeling like you are full of anger, if something is bothering you, deal with it. That might involve a personal conversation. That might involve sitting down and saying, look, this is how I'm feeling. That might just simply be pray, but do something. Don't just go to bed. When we give in to sin, when we allow the wrong to stay, it's like saying, Satan, come on in. Hell, welcome to my home. Make yourself comfortable. When we let our emotions, and Satan uses our emotions like strings of a Marionette. When we let our emotions take over, we are giving away control. We don't lose it. We gave it away. So do not ignore your early warning system. When you are, when the red flags are flying, when you like, I'm about to freak out, pause, take a breath and say, what's really going on? Is it the Pop-Tarts or is something going on? The devil loves to mess with us through our emotions, so we're going to discuss a couple of his strategies real fast. I need a visual to do so, so we're going to watch some Hulk. Check it out.
Put two canisters in there with him. some amazingly spiritual principles in that fun little clip. And I want to walk you through them. These are true. These are real. These are things you need to be aware of. The beautiful thing is, if you can have enough awareness the next time you lose it to whatever your emotion is, if you can be aware that, man, that's happening, that's happening, that's happening, you can recognize you are not alone in that moment. Somebody is pushing your buttons. It's not you. You're not weak and broken and I can't handle this. Somebody is messing with you. And here is how the devil likes to mess with us. Imagine him as some like vicious chef and he's making some soup because that's the analogy we're working with. There is the devil. Probably got one of those stupid hats. And he's making some soup. And you're the pot. And what he likes to do first is he likes to sprinkle in some shame. He likes to make you feel embarrassed. He likes to threaten you with the idea of, I'm about to be humiliated. That's the glass walkway scene. There's Bruce on display for everyone to see, and he is about to freak out, and everybody's going to see it, and everybody's going to talk about it the next day, and everybody's going to know that dude has no control. The devil likes to assault us with the threat of being embarrassed, of shame, of humiliation. He likes to orchestrate situations that puts us on display for all to see. You know this is true. Why do you think people always dream about being naked at school? Because they're like, oh my God, if that ever happened. Those feelings, that's how the devil likes to start. Just the start. Then the next little scene where he says he's locked in. He's locked in. He can't get out. The devil likes to sprinkle hopelessness and helplessness. He likes to make you feel like there's nothing I can do. There's no help for me. 
There's no way out. And what happens when even just an animal in nature is in a corner, right? Just a small, simple little possum that like, you know, plays dead. You put him in a corner, he's going to freak out. And the devil knows that. So when you start to feel the threat of humiliation, and when you start to feel boxed in, just know somebody's pushing your buttons. Somebody's looking for you to freak out. Imagine the life of Jesus and how many opportunities he had to justifiably freak out and just attack people. He didn't. He stayed calm and composed. Then you, you see the scene where they shoot the gas canisters into his environment. What does that do? What's that look like? That's when the devil likes to mask reality with confusion. I don't know what to do. I, I, I have no idea where to go. I, I don't even know how to feel right now. The devil likes to add confusion. He likes to obscure truth. And when the truth is hidden and you feel desperate, you're like, the only thing I can do is lose control and freak out. And then Liv Tyler is tackled, but not before like that awesome elbow shot. But she's tackled. What does that look like? The devil loves to take people that you care about, things that you, can, you care about, and put them in the mix. Because when things we care about are involved, it almost guarantees an emotional response. Have you found yourself in any situation recently, or better yet, recognize next time it comes up when you start to feel like, oh God, this, this is going to be humiliating. Oh man, I feel hopeless. Oh, I don't really know the right thing to do right now. Oh, this person's involved, or this, I might lose this thing. That's how the devil operates, and he is pushing your buttons. I got really mad at Brooke this weekend. I'm not getting into it. I didn't handle it well, but I didn't go far. I didn't lose my control. I instead chose to stand up and go do the dishes. So I'm scrubbing the pots and pans like a demon, like <laughs> scrubbing those pots and pans. And I start thinking about those things that I just read to you. And I'm like, oh my God, that is happening to me right now. My mind is flooded with all these things that Brooke said to me, our first year of marriage, all these ideas that I'm going to lose this, this, and this. I'm just like, I've got to just let her know and put her in her place. And I'm like, the devil is messing with me. And I know it's so that I can't speak boldly to my students on Sunday if I freak out. So thank God I didn't. I recognized what was happening, and I just went right into Brooke, and I was like, I love you. Peace. I'm a jerk. And she was like, that's all I needed to hear. I already knew that. <laughs> you guys, what happens when we don't pause and recognize our, what's going on, acknowledge, I, somebody's messing with me. We lose it. We hulk out. We give the devil what he was going for in the first place. A big, ugly, horrible show. And then he just eats you up. He just eats it up. Look what I did. Oh my God. Paul freaking out. This is awesome. Sit down. Here's some popcorn. Watch what I'm going to make him do next. I asked you guys earlier, what upsets you? I'm going to ask you now, and I just want you to consider it, but how do you handle yourself when you get upset? Do you have any contingency in place to stop yourself from freaking out? Or are you just along for the ride and you're like, well, we're just going to see where this goes? I hope you have something in place. I hope you have one countermeasure where you're like, okay, time out. 
time out of my brain, what's really happening here? What's going on? Because if you don't, and you allow your emotions to control you, your response is gonna be the same as the Hulk's. You're gonna smash something, whether physically, or emotionally, or spiritually. You're gonna hurt yourself, you're gonna hurt somebody else, you're gonna hurt your perception of yourself, you're gonna hurt your perception of God. In those tense moments, the enemy wants you to think and focus on, me, 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 I have a right to be upset. This is what he likes. Give me the picture of the Green Hulk. So you see this picture. Where's the focus? On his face. Look at that rage monster. Look at, you look at that, and you're like, he could do anything. And whatever it is, is going to be bad. Like, this is the pre-picture. Something horrible is about to go down. The devil wants you to focus on, I have a right to be angry. I can do what I want. Um, it's okay that I feel like I have a right to hurt back. The Bible says that vengeance belongs to the Lord, which means we have no right to take vengeance on anyone ever. But this in our culture says, yeah, do what you want. Now, it's okay, right? Because ultimately, doesn't the Hulk always win, right? And it's a good thing he beats the bad guy. The bad guy was just somebody just as broken as the Hulk. But we think, oh, it's okay, because the Hulk wins. When we lose it on people close to us, when we hurt ourselves or them, we think we win, too, because it's like, well, they won't mess with me now because they know I'm all that. They know what kind of damage I can cause. They know that you don't get to get next to me. I'm going to freak out. Is that really winning? Is it really winning? Or does what happened to us the same thing that happens to Paul? We self-isolate. That's the devil's end goal every time. I'm going to get him so far away from everybody else that he's never coming out. He's never going to talk to anyone again. The devil, his goal in making you lose control is that you would self-isolate. What, what's the ending of every single Hulk movie? Mad, crazy destruction and the Hulk just wandering off into the desert or the mountains to be alone for I don't know how long. That's what the enemy wants. You think it's like this righteous thing that the Hulk walks off. Oh, people can't be. It's the loneliest thing I've ever seen. No, but I'm too toxic to be around people. So you got this picture where the focus is on the rage and the right to freak out. But look at the aftermath. Look at the next picture. That's the thing we should be reminding ourselves of. Okay, I am about to freak out. I do have a right to be upset. But if you don't check yourself, that's what happens. Destruction, devastation, and in your relationships or your view of yourself in a way that, like, there's no way to repair that. They can't just go in and repair the city block. They're going to have to tear the whole thing down and start over. And we have the control, the self-control to say, no, I'm going to stop right here and right now. There's so many of us walking around in this self-imposed isolation even right now. You have isolated yourself. I'll, I'll be honest, it's a miracle. Any of you have come to church today because I know how we feel on Sunday. Oh, I shouldn't go. I'm, I did something too bad last night. Uh, I, nobody, I'm not good enough to be around those people. Yes, you are. But that's what the devil wants. When you start hearing your voice, oh, don't go to church today, that ain't you thinking. That's somebody else. But we do that. We impose a self-imposed isolation on ourselves because we start believing how we feel is real. God hates me. God can't use me. I'm no good. Um, and because that's how we feel, we think, well, it must be from the Lord. Like, I'm feeling this because that's how God feels about me. No. 
We feel that way because we lost, we lack self-control. It's not God, but the devil that thinks the worst of you. If you feel like God thinks the worst of you, that is not God. That's the devil. That's what he wants. He hates you. He wants you to hate yourself. Because when you hate yourself, when you think the worst about yourself, then you begin to believe, I am beyond redemption and I am beyond saving. And I read and pray over your prayer requests when you write them down. And I have read and prayed over what you put up here. And so many of you think, I'm not even saved. Lie from hell. The devil's been pushing you and pushing your buttons. It is not God that feels that way about you. It's the devil. The Hulk, just like me and you, he just needs Jesus. Hulk just needs Jesus' hug. I'm going to read you a verse. I want you to remember it. I encourage you to read it this week. This verse demonstrates God's heart for you. Imagine yourself at your worst moment this year. Imagine yourself at your lowest, lowest moment this year. At that moment, this is how Jesus felt about you. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their temples, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Would he do that amongst the people that he hated or that he loved? That he loved. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he judged them and thought they were slime. No. When Jesus saw the Woods Edge student ministry, he had compassion on them because he knew that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You guys, God is not disappointed in you today, yesterday, or tomorrow. God is not angry with you. Never has been, never will be. God knows that you are being harassed right now. God knows that he has compassion on you. Jesus feels compassion. He hurts. He knows how you feel. God, they're really getting hammered. Jesus wants to help you like a shepherd. Jesus wants to protect you. A good dad doesn't give his kids a warning because he hates them. He doesn't say, don't sin by letting anger control you. He's saying, don't sin by letting anger control you. He is pleading with you. He's not yelling at you. All we need to stop allowing our emotions to control us is to take back the control. We're going to cruise through some simple steps. These might all speak to you, or maybe only one will, but I want you to listen, and when the one for you leaps out, remember the verse. Remember what I'm saying to you right now. You want to take back control of your emotions. Step one is to recognize that you have an enemy. James chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, resist your enemy, the devil, and he will flee from you. It's that simple. Resist. Don't give in. Don't lose your cool. Just be still and resist and just stop in the middle and just be like, I'm just going to, I'm going to pause. I'm going to count to 10. I don't care what you do, but resist the devil. And it promises right there. He's going to flee. He's going to go on to greener pastures. He's going to look for somebody else that isn't resisting. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. You want to not even find yourself in the situation of getting harassed? Then just stay right here. Just stay right here. The devil can't come to this. This beat him. You just stay super close to Jesus. 
You stay part of your small group. You keep going or coming to this church. You keep reading your word. You keep listening to worship. You keep taking active steps to stay close to God. Because when you do, he comes close to you and the devil's just like, he can't take it. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. If you have some bad behavior existing in your life and you know what's making you feel just like crap, stop. Not so that you can be like, check that box. God doesn't want you to feel ashamed and guilty and ugly and gross. You know what's making you feel that way? Lack of self-control. Just stop. He wants you to feel bright and alive and beautiful. So, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. What does that look like? It means you need to ask for help. You need to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. we got a spiritual enemy, so we need spiritual help. 12-step program ain't going to help you. You need to ask for prayer. You need to talk to other people of faith. You need to open up and discuss this with your small group. You need to come and let us pray for you. I might not even know the answer to your problem, but I'll pray for you, and that will make a difference. You should pray for each other. I love seeing you guys praying for each other. We have a spiritual enemy. You need to know it and recognize you need spiritual help. Step number two, use all the tools God gave you. Anger, jealousy, love. They're all emotions. They're all tools that God gave you, but he gave you something else. He gave you something to control those things. He gave you his spirit, and it says in 2 Timothy verse 1-7, God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity. If you are feeling fearful, if you are a timid little mouse, that is not the spirit God gave you. God did not give you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline, self-correction. You have the power to self-correct, even in the thick of the moment. You have the power to be like, you know what? I'm not going there. Been there. Done that. Hurts. Hurt her. Hurt him. Use what's in you. Take a breath and ask God, am I really upset about Pop-Tarts right now? Or is there something deeper going on? Use God's word to examine your heart. Number three, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. One of my favorite verses, we read it two weeks ago. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. If you don't know why you're feeling the way you're feeling, this book does. Read it. Use it. It will expose. It will lay bare before you your innermost thoughts and desires. That's why I feel that way. That makes perfect sense. Read your Bible. And regular reading of your Bible prevents losing control in the first place. Number four, learn to see yourself how God sees you. You should read and read and read Psalm 139. Here's a tidbit. You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Are there any freaks in the audience? Any weirdos out there like me? I'm super weird. You don't even know. You guys, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be embarrassed of that. It said right there, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. I love that I am like nobody else. Do you know that God made you that way? Your workmanship, which is me, which is you, is marvelous how well I know it. How does he know it? Because he lives in this book. 
You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts, God, about me? Do you know his thoughts about you are precious and that they cannot be numbered? that you can't even count them, that God's thoughts about you all day, every day, on your worst day and your best, outnumber the grains of sand. And you know what? Even when you wake up, he's still right there with you. You cannot escape from how much God loves you. Does that sound like somebody who hates you? Does that sound like somebody who disapproves of you or is ashamed of you or is angry at you? Or does that sound like somebody who adores you who fights for you, who has compassion on you, who is just waiting for you to say, help me. If you don't know where to start when it comes to reading the Bible, which really is the greatest action step you can take out of today, read a psalm a day. Just start with Psalm chapter 1 and read it. And if you want to go a little deeper, read that psalm and then write it out in your own words. Profound. Powerful. Beautiful. David's complaining about some sheep or an army, just plug your own hurt in and then rewrite the rest of it and see where you don't end up in your spirit. Dwight, you guys can come on up here. We're going to wrap up. I'm going to read you guys the last little bit of Psalm 139, 19 through 24. I'm really, I'm going to declare it over you as your pastor and I have authority to do so. So it's not just Justin being loud. Something's happening when I read this over you. And then we're going to pause, and I'm going to pray that psalm over you in my own words. And I want you to embrace this, and I want you to own this and receive this. So if you would, in faith, bow your heads and know that God is responding to what we are about to pray. Me with my mouth and you with your hearts. Jesus, bless now. We are there. We are here. It's the end of the sermon. We have heard your word. We have heard your exhortation. Now we want to respond. And our response is rooted in the word. We want to be led and guided by your word. So do right now what we prayed in the beginning, what only you can do. Psalm 139, 19 through 24. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked... Satan, my enemy, get out of my life, you murderers. Lord, they blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh, Lord, should I not hate those who hate you in the spiritual places? Should I not despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me. Oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Lord, right now, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I'm going to pray those same words back over you in mind. God, on behalf of everyone in this room, including me, We pray, we just acknowledge, we are being torn up down here. We need help. Satan is destroying our sense of self. 
He's keeping us from you. He's making us believe that you hate us. He is using our emotions, these God-given tools against us. Please, Lord, now, today, do it. Destroy the work of the enemy in our lives. Help us stop hating ourselves, hating each other, hating you. Help us recognize that, yes, we have an enemy, but we have a Savior, and he loves us. He's fighting for us. He knows the way out. Search my heart. Cut through my anxieties. Point out anything in me that's tripping me up. Students, now, between you and the Lord, ask God to do that. Lord, point out anything that's causing me to stumble, that's causing me to lose control, that's causing me to falter, that has allowed the devil into this house. Point it out, show it to me, and then give it to Jesus. Say, take it. I don't want it. Show me the way out. pray for freedom in this room. We we pray for a new sense of self. We pray that we would see each other and ourselves through your eyes. Student, if you acknowledged something, anything, a relationship, a sin issue, just now to the Lord, no, it is gone. You kicked the enemy out because you said, Jesus, kick him out. You need to fill that empty space with God's word today. Today, You need to acknowledge you just made a hole in you for your good. You've got to fill it with some truth so he can't come back in. Jesus, we thank you that at any time, any day, any moment, no matter how we feel, we can pray and you will move. Thank you for moving today. It's in your name.